0: I'm Debbie Georgiadis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the Washington Post and me, why election victories, truth winning, and Senator Tim Scott and truth about race. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America
1: Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth.
0: And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's first five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. If you watch my show very often, you know that in the past I have had A gentleman joined me on the show as a guest, a few times actually, Russ Ramsland. He lives right here in Dallas where my show is done, and he is the CEO of an organization called ASOG, Allied Securities Operations Group. They came to many people back in 2018 to say that they had uncovered their organization, which is comprised of people who have uh, backgrounds in the military, in the NSA, uh, people who have cybersecurity, uh, education, experience, high level cybersecurity understanding. They came forward um, after the 2018 election saying, that there was a great deal of evidence that there had been election fraud, that there had been actually the electronic manipulation of voter tabulation software, or the more common term, just vote hacking, somebody hacking in the voting machines and changing votes. And so that story has floated around, of course, and he was on my show again, Russ Ramson was right after the 2020 elections, in which he was going through more of an explanation about what he and his organization had uncovered to be clear he is not a um, cyber guy he's not a cyber expert but the people uh, who work for his organization are and had done all the research and the gist of what they're saying is that a variety of um, a great deal of evidence seems to be available to show that there was during the 2020 elections somehow hacking into voting machines and changing votes during the time they're stored between early voting when you get up up to um, election day. And so election day comes and then you, uh, when the election day is over, you release the information about the tally from the early voting and uh, their point was, there had been and their evidence, they, they believe they had evidence to show there had been manipulation of that data. So the reason I'm telling you all this today is, um, I wanna let you know, my very faithful, wonderful listeners, that I got an email from a Washington Post reporter last week. The gist of what he had to say was they are running a story on Russ Ramsland and his organization ASOG, A-S-O-G, and they were going to talk about in the story the fact that I've had him on my show and talk about my show, America Can We Talk? And they sent me a list of questions and they asked for answers. The email came on Thursday and I did get answers back to them this morning, Monday. um, kind of really want to be very thoughtful about what I wrote back. And I'm telling you about this because I think it's important to understand several things that, that came out of this. Uh, one is that the questions, the, um, there were questions that aren't that interesting, but the final question, which I want to read to you and then tell you why I think it really matters that we talk about. It. The final question from this Washington Post report, the story hasn't run yet, as far as I'm aware, in the Washington Post, although I will tell you, there were rumors swirling for weeks that the Washington Post was going to do a hit job on Russ Ramslin and his group ASOG. So the question I want to tell you that was in this, my most important and final question was, False claims about election fraud have resulted in a significant section of the country refusing to believe the results of the 2020 election. Some even stormed the Capitol on January 6th in protest. Do you think you helped to spread such false claims? So again, the question to me is, do you think you helped to spread such false claims? And the reason I wanna talk with you about this today, first of all, if you are, if you ever go to our website, or even if you, if you haven't, you should, on our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org, the top article in the blog is related to this. It's a brief introduction, and then it just runs through what exactly I sent into the Washington Post. And I wanted to include that there because I don't know what they're going to finally print about Russ Ramslin, about ASOG, about me or my show. And I want to be right out there, just front and center, and telling you, my listeners, and anyone else who's interested, what the truth is what I said in response to their questions and I'm not going to read because I did provide a very lengthy response uh, among many things pointing out that it wasn't just the fact of Russ Ramsland's ASOG group and their uncovering of what they believe to be very credible evidence of of electronic election fraud that's causing American voters to be concerned about the November 2020 elections. I went through a litany of other reasons other data points that caused many people, even if ASOG and Russ Ramsey never existed, caused many people to doubt the November 2020 election outcome. So I laid that out. But I also answered there, and the main thing I want to hit my first five today is this. I answered the question, or I, I, I laid out for them why I think it's important that we be allowed to have in America. The First Amendment right to freedom of speech, including speech that may be something the government doesn't, especially speech, that the government doesn't want you to be involved in. The government was trying to tell you to stop. Very clearly, the Washington Post, you know, usually lockstep with left-wing America, lockstep with the Democrat Party, uh, is through that kind of question trying to say, don't you feel guilty, you help spread false claims. There's not even a... Um, A a parent from the questions recognition that maybe some of the claims of election fraud were true. I mean it just presumes all claims of election fraud were lies and therefore don't you feel bad you spread lies. Kind of like one of those things they teach you about in law school about you know you can't answer the question if the question is you know do you still beat your wife? There's there's no way to answer that question. Well so I did in response to what they sent run through that, you know, they're trying to claim all claims of election fraud are false, and why <clears throat> why many people don't agree with that. But the two things I want to hit in this first five about this, beside, it, I encourage you to go to our website, read what I wrote, and I'd love your commentary, love to have you tell me what you think about it. We do not on our website, we had to uh, close the comment section um, for um, liability reasons, because there's some argument that my website or I could be responsible for defamatory things people write in comments and so uh, I don't want that headache but you could always email me at talk at gmail.com talk at gmail.com and put in the subject line your Washington Post article or something I love your feedback but I just want to hit two points number one is the question really is the underlying question this guy is getting at is don't you realize that if you keep talking about election fraud, you might stir people up. Like somehow the conversation about election fraud is responsible for what happened at the Capitol of January 6th. We have to reject that. Americans, including former President Trump, patriotic Americans of all backgrounds, anyone who wants to is entitled. Not to make irresponsible allegations that have no basis in true belief, or no basis in a um, you know that you have information that causes you to believe them are true, but, but Americans are entitled to discuss very controversial questions. It's a First Amendment right. You can't shut down First Amendment conversation, First Amendment protected conversation, because somebody might get mad. And if you think that's the standard, you say, well, don't talk about that. Somebody will get upset. Well, what do you think gave rise to the Antifa and Black Lives Matter violence all last summer? It was First Amendment protected speech. People making speeches and spreading the word through social media and other places about what they believe was unjustified police action, police brutality, the need to defund police, the claims of systemic racism, the claims of white privilege, the claims of everything the left is talking about all the time led to the violence of last summer led to the idea that we have cities burned to the ground last summer. Those cities burned, those riots happened because of the free speech rights of people on the left who chose to speak up about their perception related to systemic racism, uh, pol- racism on that, and their belief of racism on the part of police officers, the whole notion of the idea of America is filled with white privilege and, and, uh, and white supremacy, all of those statements, just they, and they, they are emitted from everywhere on the left, you could argue, led to those riots. So if you use the standard that this guy is asking this question, then you know, nobody should talk about anything that might upset somebody else. You know, I think the left would not agree with that. What this guy is trying to say is, well, this is all false claims. You just raised false claims, but that's not even true or fair either. There were plenty of reasonable bases upon which millions and millions of Americans decided that they believe election fraud occurred. So number one point is you cannot accept the rule that this reporter is trying to establish or the standard that all speech that might lead someone to get upset must be silenced. Can't do that. But the second point I wanna make, and and so second point which I've been making already and there's plenty of evidence of genuine uh, election fraud not just the electronic kind all sorts of vote fraud and election fraud that cause reasonable people to be concerned plenty of evidence so it's not false spreading false stories plenty of reasons people are concerned but the third and maybe most important point today's first five is this there are plenty of people saying well look the election's over Biden was inaugurated on January 20th he's he's in the white house he's acting as president what is the reason to continue talking about the electronic and other election of November 2020. What's the reason to keep talking about it? Can't we just move on, get over it, move on? And I want to offer you a series of reasons why it's very, very important to continue to push to get to the bottom and to look for a court with subpoena power, a court with the power to demand documents to inspect machines pushing those courts or someone to get to more truth about what happened in November 2020. And I'm going to give you several reasons why. Number one, many legislatures in this country are looking at election integrity legislation. Nearly all of them are responding to the November 2020 elections, and yet, I believe zero of them are actually looking at the question, can we somehow legislate to protect electronic access to the voter machine hardware and software? Can we somehow protect the voting machines so that they are not even uh, vulnerable to, to being hacked by people who would steal the election by hacking them? The legislatures right now are not even willing to talk about that question. So that by itself is a reason to continue to try to prove what occurred with respect to election, electronic election fraud because you gotta motivate these legislators to do something about it. So far, they're not willing to go, even in the pretty solid election integrity bills, to go to the question of access, the vulnerability of voting machines. Number two reason because I think the actual numbers, and these are coming from numerous people who've been closely studying this, the actual numbers are that it was President Trump who probably got somewhere in the range of 78 million votes. Biden did not get 81 million votes. He got something more like 68. So point being, President Trump won the election in a landslide and, and because that is true, All of us need to understand that the agenda that the Biden administration is putting forth in this country is not the will of the American people. That is the reason to keep getting to the bottom of proving election fraud of all types, including electronic election fraud. The Biden agenda is tyrannical. The Biden agenda is totalitarian. The Biden agenda is about pushing America Toward a country where you have federalized control of the election system with built in, built in fraudulent tactics, not just tolerated, mandated by the federal government. So the federal government completely in, in control of elections, the legislation being pen, pending in Congress would prevent any future fair election. That's another reason to continue to push this because I think if you had more exposure of what occurred in November 2020, you begin to have more and more legislatures showing some backbone and notifying Washington preemptively, we're not going to follow your election integrity, that's called the For the People Act. It's a mandated election fraud act is my term for it. But you'd have more states, more legislatures, more governors finding the backbone to say to Washington, We're not going to comply because you didn't win the election, because your agenda is not the will of the American people. This argument, this point that the Biden agenda, the totalitarian, tyrannical Biden agenda is not the will of the American people flows from the fact that that there was a Trump victory in 2020 and you've got the biden team having an election they didn't win and now trying to put in place the most tyrannical kinds of legislation imaginable and it's not just by the way it's not just the voting things it is the stuff that's still coming it has to do with things like the um Uh, the Green New Deal legislation, which is going to be coming down the pike and you won't recognize America anymore. You'll be told where you can live, how big your house can be, what temperature you can keep your house at, what kind of car you can drive, whether you can have a car at all. Piece after piece after piece of the just the Green New Deal legislation, monstrously restrictive, monstrously, uh, just monstrously uh, eviscerating of freedom in America. Having the election outcome continue to be a subject of public discussion is one avenue towards emboldening state legislatures and state governors to tell Washington, we're not doing your agenda because America didn't choose this. We're not doing the left-wing, tyrannical, Biden, totalitarian agenda of federal government control of all of American society. We will talk many times over the coming months and years about what is coming out of the Biden administration, but i want to wrap up the first five by saying this there are really profound legitimate important reasons for americans to insist that we're allowed to talk about what happened in 2020 that there's going to be discussion about electronic election fraud the left is and and all other forms of election and vote fraud the left is on a uh, just barreling down the tracks or you know, steamrolling, trying to steamroll all of America to say, everyone's done talking about election fraud, no more talking about it. And that was the point this Washington Post questioned to me. That was their point, to frighten, to uh, tag, to label, to silence me and anyone else who would say, no, we actually still need to find out what happened in 2020. We still need to pursue these claims of election fraud. The courts would not take the cases. The courts wouldn't look at the evidence. We have not had the opportunity that should have been, you know, just instantly provided to people once we've had all of the the level of exposure of the electronic election fraud claims in this country. I mean, one little little piece I threw in in pointing out why people are in, in this note back to them, Point out why people are still suspicious is because of the way the Biden administration is behaving, the way the Democrat Party is behaving. They sent whatever like a hundred lawyers out to uh, to the state of Arizona to oversee the recount. They are filing uh, litigation piece piece of litigation in state and federal court, trying to stop this audit of the Arizona election. These are not the actions, or not the behavior of people who legitimately believe they won the election fair and square. When you're striving to prevent an audit and a recount of votes, you're telling people we're very unsure that we won and the last thing we want is anyone actually looking closely at our election uh, data from the election cycle, but that's what you're seeing the left do. So wrap up the first five just saying there are good reasons. And not reasons I have that are that go to the question of violence at the Capitol or justify violence, but good reasons and, and policy reasons that are many, many Americans insist on and their right to insist on the idea that we have to actually get to the bottom of election fraud uh, in two thousand and twenty because we don't have to salute to the agenda that didn't win. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. Okay, my friends. So I'm, I'm this um. We had elections here in Texas, and I, uh, over the weekend was the final voting day on Saturday, May 1st. We had early voting before that. But we had some great, great wins in Texas. And I want to tell you about them. And the reason I want to is not just to celebrate, yay Texas, I do love Texas, but um, I want to celebrate that they underscore one point I make on my show quite often. The left is loud they are uh, ubiquitous meaning ever-present left-wing thinking has permeated and slithered its way into elections at all levels into public schools into public conversation uh, into the media into academia into hollywood so that people who are conservative Which just means people who love the idea of freedom in America, people who want to keep America on the track of freedom, the free markets, and not socialism, Marxism, and communism, people who want to have a country where we have a rule of law and not chaos at the border and chaos in our city streets, those people, the patriots, we are the majority. We're the majority. And we just think we're not because the left is so loud and so determined and so relentless that we sometimes think, wow, you know, we must be in the minority because it doesn't seem like, you know, we don't hear enough from our side and our people. So I'm going to tell you what happened in the great state of Texas. First of all, there's a congressional district where we had a special election. Uh, former Republican Congressman Ron Wright, who was a friend, in fact, he has been at our house, I did a fundraiser for them, um, he unfortunately passed away last year. He passed away. Um, he'd been dealing with cancer for several years and all sorts of you know, unpleasant treatment. And then he also contracted COVID. And so he passed on. So that's an open seat. So yesterday was the election, or Saturday rather, was the election in Texas for this congressional seat, Congressional District 6, which is CD6. So in Texas, we have, and I never knew we had it until this election, we have a jungle primary thing here, meaning as many people as want can can get in a race, a special uh, election. And so we had 23 people running, 23 people running, 11 Republicans, 10 Democrats, one Independent, and one Libertarian. And they're all running for the same seat. And so we had one of the people running was the widow of Congressman Ron Wright named Susan Wright, also a friend. So she's running and the jungle primary term means that the way it works, you know, in other elections on election day, you, you go to the polls and usually you have, you can choose a Republican candidate, a Democrat candidate, maybe Libertarian or Green party, but people are on the, on the ballot by party. But when it's a special election like this, the way it works is if nobody gets over 50%, nobody wins flat out, they go to a runoff, and the runoff is just the top two vote-getters, the top two people of these 23 who got the most votes. So the great thing that happened in Texas was that the Democrats were like hot on the idea. They're going to take this seat back. The Democrats are always saying they want to take Texas, and we have to be very careful to preserve, and I'm not really, I mean, I, I am Republican and I vote Republican, but I want conservative, I want America. I want people in Congress who will vote to preserve the idea of America. That's what I want. I want people who will vote to preserve the rule of law, vote to preserve the border, vote to preserve an orderly immigration system, vote to preserve a strong national defense, vote to preserve free markets, keep the freedom, all the laws that impact freedom and the freedom of of individuals to be strong and intact. I want people who believe in freedom. And so that usually ends up meaning you vote for the Republican. But anyway, what happened yesterday or Saturday of all great things was you did have two winners. We had the top two vote getters now going to a runoff, and they're both Republican. Meaning that in this district, which is always considered barely right-leaning, it's not one of those heavy Republican districts where everybody knows Republicans are going to win because they always do. This is very, very close in terms of Republican-Democrat. And yet what happened was the runoff is now between two Republicans, uh, Congressman Ron Wright's widow, Susan Wright, uh, and another gentleman. And I'm, I'm unsure of how to pronounce his last name. I think it's VZ, But anyway, uh, it's another Republican uh, who is a current state rep. And so this is a good sign. This is because the Democrats poured millions into this district, in this very close district. I take this as a sign that America is starting to realize how radically left the Democrat Party is. And even in a close district where they poured millions in and they ran, apparently a very popular Hispanic woman was the top vote on the Democrat side, and she didn't win. She did not retain, she did not secure a seat in the runoff. So. It's a good sign. I think that people in Texas are going. You know what? This is pretty darn good. Next thing that happened, Texas. Oh wait, wait. Okay, hold on. Before I get the next issue, there were great things that happened in Texas yesterday, and they really were about truth winning. The other thing was most amazing. uh, Chairman Alan West, the Texas State Republican Party uh, Chairman Alan West, has an email that came out this morning. His Monday email, and he's put in this email, and I'd not heard this anywhere else. But he put in this email that the night before. The elections. The election was this past Saturday, May 1st, so the previous night, Friday night, somebody paid for a robocall, you know, the automatic dial robocall, with a recorded message claiming that Susan Wright, the widow of Ron Wright, the one who won the most votes, won the plurality, that she was being investigated for the murder of her husband. Okay, how extraordinarily outrageous. How hurtful to her. I mean, uh, let me be clear. They adored each other. They're very fond of each other. Everyone knows this. Everyone who knows them knows this. And so, but someone in some desperate attempt to uh, destroy her, put out a robocall claiming she was being investigated for murdering her husband. Just just simply outrageous. Okay. Another thing that happened um, was that, um, the, um, so no Democrat made it to the runoff. Uh, Next thing that happened were was a huge thing being watched nationwide um, in South Lake, Texas, and that is this. If you remember, by the way, you remember Victor Avila? He's been on our show before. Victor Avila is from the South Lake, uh, South Lake area, and the Carrollton ISD. And the gist of this story is this: in the South Lake, this Carrollton ISD, independent school district, a group had formed to uh, to try to push into the public schools there the critical race theory CRT try to push critical race theory all sorts of race-based uh, very ugly accusatory um, you know condemning of all white people condemning of people uh, of, of America as being a, a deeply racist country and so this had this whole thing had started Victor Avila who's a friend of mine had been in a committee, at the very first, working on something, then realized where they were headed with this. He's saying, no, this is not true. So he has been a, a total strong player standing up just saying that this whole effort by the, uh, the a leftist force in that area to bring critical race theory in, to shame and guilt everybody uh, who doesn't look like uh, the supporters of this. And so they had elections in South Lake on Saturday. So they had two, two school board seats two city council seats, and the mayor. So those five seats were the ones that we're talking about. And what happened was there was an open, there was an organization that got in place, got rolling, and it's a, a group called, um, it's a bunch of parents, I think. Um, anyway, they organized themselves into a group and basically said, we're going on the offense. We're going on the offense and we're going to say that we're not going to have our public schools infected, poisoned with this critical race theory, which we've been talking about in the show, we'll keep on talking about in the show, this critical race theory idea that is basically says that all of life, all of life is to be looked at through the lens of race. It is intentionally molding and shaping everyone, except white Americans, to view themselves as a victim class, is a victim creation, outrage manufacturing, uh, a country dividing, society dividing, um, racially divisive policy, critical race theory. So some f- group organized in um, that area and just said, we're going to stand up against this. We're going to expose this for the ugliness that it is. It's a very, I mean, critical race theory is a huge topic in America. And it is being pushed by the same organizations that push Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all the other organizations that are just simply pushing the picture of America. The whole 1619 Project, the idea of pushing the picture of America as a deeply racist country that deserves to be, you know, burned to the stake, hated, destroyed, etc. So in South Lake, they had this parent organization organized, this family organization organized and just said, we're not going to have this in our schools. We're not going to have this become part of how, we, um, how we, what we teach our children, how we teach our children to see America, how we teach our children to think of themselves, how we teach our children to think of everybody else. So they pushed back. So the great news was in South Lake, Texas, all five candidates who stood up against this critical race theory won, and they didn't just squeak by. They won, basically, all of them won, 70, 30. 70, 30. And of course, the leftists who pushing critical race theory, pushing 16,19 project, pushing Anthem and BLM are lamenting that, "Oh my gosh, you know, uh, hatred won, uh, this was terrible. But what these people were pushing it's really clear important to understand and be clear what they are saying. The leftists, the 1619 Project Advocates, have come up with this term that is not enough to be, to say you're not racist. It's not enough. You don't pass the test of being a human worth worthy of having respect simply because you say I'm not racist. And you're not racist. You have to commit to being anti-racist. And when they say you commit to being anti-racist, You have to go along with everything that critical race theory is pushing. You have to agree with the left on every issue. You have to deplore America. You have to agree that America has just is rooted in racism, that America is a divisive, terrible, terrible country worthy of being destroyed. That's what you have to buy into. And there are finally what I'm, I'm so enthused about. More people waking up and saying, "You know what? This is wrong. This is untrue of America. We're not going to agree. This is who America is." Now, to be clear, of course, instances of racism happen. No one is saying America is perfect. But the difference between the anti-racist, radical Marxist left, and the parents who won in this Carol and this uh, this whole race in South Lake, the difference is the leftists are saying. America is a deeply, fundamentally flawed, baked into the cake, you know, woven into the fabric of America, racist country, and it pretty much must be torn down. And the parents who say, no, we're not going to tear down America, we might have instances of racism, and they do. That school district has had instances of racism other school districts have. We can deal with those instances, we can point out what has occurred that's wrong, we can punish students if necessary, we can investigate claims, but we're not going to throw out the whole idea of America, the whole idea and the goodness of the country and of the American people because of the actions or words of a few people. We're going we're gonna to reject all of this anti-racist, America must be destroyed mentality. And we're going to go with america's good the people are good and when you have things that occur that aren't right we'll deal with them of course and it's very interesting by the way nbc news uh, had an article out about this and they called this a bitterly divided election well you know what bitterly divided i guess maybe it was bitter but it wasn't close the american people just in this one little district were standing up and saying we're not going to go along with the marxist Critical race theory, destruction of America agenda. We see what you're doing, and we won't allow it in our schools. We will investigate racism. We will investigate unfair treatment, and we will investigate all sorts of other claims made. But we're not going to throw away America, which is where the 1619 Project is, where the left is in this country. So it's a great thing. Another great thing that came out of yesterday's elections uh, in Texas, or Saturday's elections in Texas, and it was just a darn good day. Um, Because I think that, and by the way, if you're not in Texas, you might be listening to this and saying, why is she so excited about Texas? I mean, everyone knows Texas is red. Texas is red right now. Texas, the the majority, a Republican majority in the Texas House and Senate has been going down, meaning it's becoming more and more Democrats and fewer Republicans. It's still a Republican majority. And... Uh, But we have changes occurring, we have population shifts and we have the Democrat Party claiming they're going to turn Texas blue and they are not pouring millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars into Texas if it were impossible to turn it blue. They, the Democrat Party, sees Texas as vulnerable. They see their race baiting policies. They see their determination to keep Americans divided along the lines of race, to keep Americans angry about the idea of success of others, that, that we have a society in which some people are more successful than others. All of the leftist arguments are making their way into the, the uh, political conversation of Texas. So these are huge victories. These are p- people in Texas saying, no, not going along with what the Democrats are trying to do. Several other really cool key victories yesterday. Uh, one was in the, in the um, city of Austin. And if you ever wanted to open your eyes, if you, uh, you know, if somebody kidnapped you and plopped you in the middle of Austin, you didn't know where you were, and you looked around, you would think you're in some East Coast left-wing city. Austin's very leftist. Very, very leftist. to have, you know, the universities there. It's, just, it's like... You know it's a land of uh, music festivals and it's just more leftist very very democrat so a couple of years ago the austin city council decided that they were going to uh change uh, in, in an accommodation an effort to try to help homeless people they were going to lift the ban on homeless people sleeping in public lift the ban on homeless people just putting up tents on public land wherever they wanted to and so austin has become a pigsty. It's become, you can't walk on the streets. You see, I mean, we talked about this a couple of years ago when the Austin City Council made this decision because you had people putting out, this one woman, she owned a townhome. There's a series of townhomes. They're all connected by a common wall. So she puts this picture up. She's saying, here's my townhome I'm trying to sell. So on this side, so she's got her townhome, the little bit yard, there's a sidewalk and a little more grass than the street. So right there in the in the grass between the sidewalk and the street, which is public land, she had a homeless guy who had taken up camp, just set up camp and living there. So she says, this woman saying, how am I supposed to sell my townhouse? Who's going to come and climb over this homeless encampment right in front of my, it was in front of her neighbor's house, right next door, but she's just saying, you know th- this. I mean, it, it deprives her of her property value, deprives her of her ability to sell her home. Well, that magnified by the increase in just you know, a, a Austin's a, a a cool city. It's actually it has v- many really cool parts, fun restaurants, fun music festivals, you know, fun bars and restaurants. It's a very East Coasty feel. A lot of people love to go there, but you can't really go there right now because of what the Austin City Council did. They did a lot of very left-wing things. This is what happens, my very fine friends, when you don't pay attention to local elections. And that it is what happened in Texas when people started paying attention to local elections. So in Austin, they had a uh, the Austin residents passed, I mean, a very significant numbers, I don't have them in front of me, but the Austin citizens decided to overturn the Austin City Council. They said, you know what, actually, we're done. We're done with this homeless people encampment every place, homeless people sleeping in public. So they, they, the Austin um, citizens voted to reverse what the uh, Austin City Council did and say, basically, no more of this uh, homeless people setting up camp on public land, homeless people sleeping in the streets, no more of it. So that was really good. Uh, San Antonio, another city in Texas, voted. basically to protect the police. There had been an agenda item put on in San uh, San Antonio uh, by some left-wingers who are kind of defund the police type people. But what they had gone for was trying to take away the the, uh, ability, the power of the police department to collectively bargain with the city. And so that was seen as another tack, another avenue to take away, to hurt the police and put the control of the police back into the hands, essentially, of the elected um, city council or city officials in San Antonio. If you didn't like that too much, one last thing to share with you. and This is really great. I'm going to do more about this particular story later. So a friend of mine texted me this morning. To tell me about the idea, remember this 1776 project that President Trump had when the 1619 thing, which is the New York Times concoction came along 1619 project was a big idea to basically say everyone needs to stop loving America. I used to call it the 1619 We Hate America and You Should Too project of the New York Times. It was basically trying to say, don't think of America as having been founded at the time of the uh, 1776 and the Revolution. Think of America starting back in 1619 because that was the first year they claimed they could trace that the slave trade began to bring um, African slaves to America. And so they're trying to basically, it's the same idea as critical race theory, same idea as BLM and all of those organizations, which is to force on America a lens, a paradigm, a a way of looking at the world that everything is about race. And America is an evil place. And America is an evil place with evil ideas. They have to make make you hate America in order to get you to go along with what they want to do, which is to truly, fundamentally transform America away from being the country of the freedom of the founding into a government-controlled, totalitarian, tyrannical society in which everything in life is controlled out of Washington. This is the goal of the left. So the 1776 Project came along, President Trump said, we're not doing the 1619, and he put together a really esteemed panel of people to say, let's just tell America and tell the world what's really true about America. So. In fact, we had Bob McEwen on the show in time. He was one member of that. So onto the 1776 Project. What they've now done, they issued something today. It's called the 1776 Pledge to Save Our Schools. And they are asking candidates, and especially governors, to sign on to basically say they want the governors to agree that if you take this job, you're running for this job, you're going to agree to stand with the correct the the accurate the beautiful ideas of America's founding you're going to fight against the anti-American indoctrination that's been happening in our public schools for decades. So they're basically, the pledge has United States of America as an exceptional nation whose people have always strived to form a more perfect union. Our founding fathers as well as others were among the uh, founding fathers, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, were among the greatest Americans to ever live. Our children and grandchildren should be taught to take pride in their schools. Anyway, it's a whole idea they're saying Saying, and this came out today, going to every governor saying, you need to sign on and all candidates should be asked to sign on. And frankly, if they won't sign on, that's a good thing for you to know about any candidate you might support. If they won't sign on to this, they're telling you they're going to perpetuate the ugly anti-Americanism that has taken over the public schools. Brilliant idea. And also, hey, by the way, so uh, Christy, uh, the uh, South Dakota governor, Christy Noam, was the first governor to sign on. She signed on to the 1776 thing, and she had a great piece out today um, with uh, Dr. Ben Carson Basically saying, we have to have, in fact, what they say in this article is, the biggest cultural challenge of our lifetime is defeating anti-American indoctrination. As they say, folks, no truer words ever spoken. The biggest cultural challenge of our lifetime is defeating anti-American indoctrination. And they're basically saying, we cannot survive as a country until we get a hold again of the education system and stop teaching our children to hate America. Anyway, beautiful thing. Okay, last thing today I wanna to hit, and I tell you, this is a, um, I, I, it's funny when you only have a show Monday through Thursday, because obviously a lot of you know that uh, President Biden made his first speech in Congress. Um, and I may have clips or may not, I don't know. But anyway, uh, the response of to that clip, uh, response to the Biden, um, statement was uh, was awarded to or uh, the uh, gop senator from south carolina tim scott uh was the one who gave the rebuttal or the reply whatever they call it the reply to what biden had to say and he knocked it out of the park so i sent matt the wonderful who is back from vacation yay sent matt the wonderful uh, although the uh, his substitute was also great too or we're doing great here we're happy anyway Uh, Matt, the wonderful has a clip coming from uh, portions of what Senator Tim Scott had to say.
1: Good evening, I'm Senator Tim Scott from the great state of South Carolina. We just heard President Biden's first address to Congress. Our president seems like a good man. His speech was full of good words, but President Biden promised you a specific kind of leadership. He promised to unite a nation to lower the temperature, to govern for all Americans, no matter how we voted. This was the pitch. You just heard it again. But our nation is starving for more than empty platitudes. We need policies and progress that brings us closer together. But three months in, the actions of the president and his party are pulling us further and further apart. Nowhere do we need common ground more desperately than in our discussions of race. I have experienced the pain of discrimination. I know what it feels like to be pulled over for no reason, to be followed around the store while I'm shopping. I've also experienced a different kind of intolerance. I get called Uncle Tom and the N-word by progressives, by liberals. Just last week, a national newspaper suggested my family's poverty was actually privilege because a relative owned land generations before my time. Believe me, I know firsthand our healing is not finished. In 2015, after the shooting of Walter Scott, I wrote a bill to fund body cameras. Last year, after the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, I built an even bigger police reform proposal, but my Democratic colleagues blocked it. I extended an olive branch. I offered amendments, but Democrats used a filibuster to block the debate from even happening. My friends across the aisle seem to want the issue more than they wanted a solution. From colleges to corporations to our culture, people are making money and gaining power by pretending we haven't made any progress at all. By doubling down on the divisions we've worked so hard to heal. You know this stuff is wrong. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country.
0: Okay, that last part, especially that last sentence, did not go over well with the left. And I want—I have another clip to type, it but I'll tell you very quickly why I think it's so profound what Senator Scott said. By the way, he's pointing out it's the leftists who are racist, treating him in a racist way. In fact, trending on Twitter for a while was hashtag Uncle Tim, because his name is Tim Scott instead of Uncle Tom, you know, which is a, a derogatory racial epithet, basically claiming someone... And he was called an Oreo uh, by, I believe it was a Texas official, um, Democrat, of course. And you know, what he's, what he's really saying is it, it, actually very profound in showing you or in, in making an example of the different ways the two um, sides, if if you will, are approaching the subject of race in this country. Tim Scott is not saying America is perfect. He is not saying there are no racist police officers. He talks about being followed. He's given a speech on the floor of the Senate about being followed by a police officer as, in, as he's you know, driving his car someplace around in uh, Washington. and He's got a nice car. And he's a senator. I, I mean, it's not, he's not saying racism doesn't happen, but he's saying the country itself is not a racist country. And this is really, really important as we dig in and try to actually move forward as a country. The left thrives. They retain political power by sending ugly messages about America. Tim Scott is not saying that there is no racism. He's saying, yeah, there are people who are racist, and America is a good country. And I loved his point he made basically saying, you know, the left isn't acknowledging any of the great progress we've made as a country, as a people. They can't acknowledge any of it. They, they act like we're back in the era. He didn't say this. My words now back in the era of segregation or slavery when America's made great progress. So I want to play. There was a, um, a left wing talk show person. I uh, didn't know her name before, but MSNBC, Tiffany Cross. Uh, she hosts a show, not Crossfire, Cross Facts or something anyway. She hosts a show in which she attacked what Tim Scott just said. And I want to ask Matthew if we'll play that and then we'll talk about it. Can anyone name a political, social, or economic institution in America where widespread disparities and discrimination does not exist? Don't worry. I'll wait.
2: Such a great question from my friend The Roots Michael Harriet, and I actually have an answer. The hollow institution that resides inside Republican Senator Tim Scott's head. No racism there, and apparently no sense either. This week, the sole black Republican in the Senate sounded a stone fool when he said this.
1: Hear me clearly America is not a racist country.
2: Okay, let's be clear. Tim Scott does not represent any constituency other than the small number of sleepy, slow-witted sufferers of Stockholm Syndrome who get elevated to prominence for repeating a false narrative about this country that makes conservative white people feel comfortable so thirsty for white approval. This dude actually stood on the national stage to defend the voter suppression law in Georgia, even though as of last month, 361 bills were being introduced in 47 states to keep people who look like him out of the ballot box.
0: Okay. Her statement is so filled with lies that I have to take a moment to point them out. The election integrity bills pending in Texas, Georgia, and every other state of which I'm aware, have nothing at all, nothing at all with repressing the vote of any individual of any skin color. No, absolutely nothing at all to do with that. They do have to do with concerns people had about election fraud last time and the massive mail-in ballots and the chain, and all sorts of things they discovered occurred. This is why this election integrity legislation is pending. And whenever you press anyone who is complaining about the election integrity laws and say, what in there is racist, the only thing they can ever come up with is, well, they're requiring ID. Well, I'm sorry. Who, is there some segment of America who doesn't ever have ID, who, who somehow is able to go everywhere in life and get driver's licenses and, and cash checks and use credit cards without vote, without an ID? I mean, it's absurd. It's embarrassingly insulting. But. Understand where she's going with this. She is so hysterical. And so, and she also, by the way, she doesn't critique anything he said in terms of substance. She called him a stone fool. I don't know why that is an expression, but a stone fool, a clown. She flashes up a picture of very prominent black conservative Americans and mocks them too. But nothing in any of her remarks is pointing out what is the, she says we're, what is it she's pointing to? What, what, what does she want fixed? This is part of the tactic of the American left to continue to call America racist, to taunt America's racist, to get left wing power to take unbelievable control over our lives in the name of racism. But in her case, and in the case of most people who do the kind of journalism, if you want to call it that, they never say, What are the demands that you have? I mean, you say America is a bad and terrible place what is it we need to do to fix it she doesn't want to propose answers because she doesn't have specific questions she just wants to thrive she gets political power or as tim scott was saying political power and in some cases making money off of fomenting racial tension inspiring people to continue to see america as a deeply racist country this is her this is her support group this is who gives her power to remain on air remain on air is to continue to taunt and mock america no specific suggestions i mean if she want to say you know what i think we should have a law that says uh no more chokeholds of a certain kind by police officers okay let's debate that maybe it's a good idea i don't know she could make specific suggestions but none of these people in the race agitation the racial outrage industry in this country ever have specific suggestions because their goal is not to fix anything. Their goal is not to fix anything. It is to thrive on creating division and racial suspicion and tension and hatred to gain and keep power. And I want to tell you what, how dangerous it is what she's doing. I'll tell you two stories about this, this endless effort to create a, America and the minds of young people especially as a deeply racist country. One is a story out of Stanford. University in California. Okay, so at Stanford, there's a young woman who's on the Stanford, uh, the Student Senate Committee, whatever, the Student Senate, and she's running for re-election. Her name is Gabrielle Crooks, Gabrielle Crooks, and she's running for re-election to the State, the Student Senate in California, student government, and one group on campus uncovered a bunch of things that she wrote on her own social media last summer. Yes, this young, young lady, by the way, is black. Yes, I think white people need to be eradicated. White people need to be eradicated. I will go feral over mediocre white men. We exist. Um, I can't even know what she's saying. Anyway, um, she, talks, she's, she has a goal of becoming a human rights attorney. Heaven help us. Um, she also um, alleges America is a racist country. When she spells America, she puts A-M-E-R-I. KKK-A, so she's referring to the Democrat-funded, founded, and supported racist organization, KKK, and she said, I'm not a passionate America lover in my international relations class. Um, She said she has friends who are white, but she just can't, um, in fact, she tweeted, why do white people think everything is about them? But among the most offensive things that she put out there, I'm going to tie this back to what we're talking about, Al, she retweeted. This is a uh, active on Twitter. She retweeted a cartoon that featured a fictitious college campus. A fictitious college campus, adding the caption, White Tears, Tears, as in crying tears, White Tears live stream. The image features statues of Karl Marx, Chinese Communist Party Mao Zedong, anarchists destroying the Classics Department building at Stanford, a white man being tortured and set on fire, a cuck zone, a privilege check station, and assign the states, reminder, it's not okay to be white. And I want you to really think about this. This is not some drug-crazed homeless person in some random place in America. This is a girl smart enough, a young woman, smart enough to get into Stanford, popular enough to be elected to the Student Senate, and her visceral hatred spewing out of her social media postings against white people they should be eradicated her words they should be eradicated her words that that last thing uh that she talked about on this thing she she retweeted um reminder it's not okay to be white where does a young woman get those ideas from Why would this possibly occur to her, to be even a sane thing, to think, let alone to feel justified to put it out on social media? She has been indoctrinated by critical race theory type thinking. She has been indoctrinated by racial divisiveness, spewing out of the American left, the anti-American left, spewing out of critical race theory advocates, spewing out of Antifa Black Lives Matter advocates, spewing out of the Marxist left, that everything should be seen in terms of race and that the entire whatever portion of white of America is white, the entire white population of America is evil and should be eradicated. I want you to think about, if someone were to have said those things about black Americans, which I'm not advocating, clearly, what I'm getting at is this leftist obsession with race and racial division is intended to cultivate people like Gabriella Crooks. She's at Stanford. She got elected to the Student Senate after putting out stuff like this, only because some people on campus are now questioning, hey, you know, is this really, uh, is this really who you want representing us? I-, I mean, I'm telling you, there are consequences, deeply, profoundly harmful consequences flowing to America from allowing this 1619 racist critical race theory. Critical race theory is government funded racism, government authorized racial hatred. That's what critical race theory is. That's what this young woman at Stanford is into. That is what the left is pushing. And this is why there are so many Americans who are wide awake now saying, you know what, we can't have this in America. There's no way to unity. There's no way to getting on the same page. The contrast between Tim Scott saying, yeah, of course there's racism, and we fight it, and we don't like it, and he proposed bills. And what the left is doing, which is not supporting his bills, which are intended to get at problems he was identifying after a certain instance occurred, not support him, taught him as Uncle Tim, as an Uncle Tom called Uncle Tim, and to refuse to go along with his efforts to solve things, understand the critical race theory people, the, AL, the the BLM people, the Anthem people, they do not want to solve anything. They do not want to solve racism. They want to use it as a political tool to get power. This is where we are in 2020. One last quick story, and they got to wrap it up. But Black Lives Matter issued a, list, a series of demands recently. I don't know if you happen to see this, I'll tell you. They issued a series of demands which include convict Trump, who knows for what, but it's something they'll make up. But convict Trump, investigate all conservative members of the military, police officers, federal government, investigate conservatives. Not even find out if someone happens to be a racist, and if they're racist then they should be removed. Just investigate conservatives. And their last one is don't compare the January 6th riots at the Capitol to what they describe the entire summer of radical violent attacks in cities across the country, but their demand, BLM, don't compare January 6th to the summer of, in their term, peaceful riots. People BLM putting out a list of demands like this, they're not even living in the world of sanity. They're not living in the world of reality. And those people who put out things like this, just think about the fact there is not one Democrat in this country, one leftist you can name, who would say, you know, actually, we really can't do that. We can't go, uh, you know, uh, convicting someone who didn't commit a crime, far as we can tell. We can't go purging the ranks of the military and the police and the government of conservatives But this is, again, this BLM attitude, this is a product of the idiocy of the leftist education as evidenced by critical race theory, as evidenced by the leftist just determination to force all of America into silos by race and pit us against each other with no plan, no effort to ever bring resolution, to ever bring unity. Their goal isn't unity, it is the destruction of America. The sooner we figure this out, the sooner we can remove these people from any positions of authority in our country, from school board to city council to mayor to governor to congressman to senator to president, the better off America will be. I close the show every day by telling you why the stories that we talked about today matter to you. So we started our day today, the very first start of the show. We started talking about the Washington Post and me and why. The Washington Post is apparently preparing a story in Russ Ramsden, election fraud investigator. He was a guest on America Can We Talk? Rumors say the Washington Post is going to be a hit piece. Washington Post reporters' questions to me suggest to me the goal is to enforce a narrative that all claims of election fraud are false and that only that any talk about any claims of election fraud causes and is responsible for violence. I urge you to read my reply at org. The piece is called Hit Piece Coming on Election Fraud Investigator. The left's obsession with shutting down all talk of election fraud is bizarre and disturbing. What happened to First Amendment rights of free speech? And we talked about election victories and truth winning. Texas CD6, a, a, a race bellwether and a bell ringer. I'm sorry, Texas CD race, 6 race was a bellwether and bell ringer. 23 candidates vied to take place with deceased Representative Ron Wright. Top two vote getters headed to runoff, both Republicans. Wright's wife Susan endorsed by Trump and was a the, the top vote getter. Candidate endorsed by Trump. MAGA hater, oh yeah, I didn't even tell you about this part. Adam, Adam Kensinger, this loony alleged Republican, uh, endorsed somebody in the race and who got received 3% of the vote. The Democrat left his late campaign robocall, as reported by Texas GOP Chairman Alan West, alleged that Susan Bright was under investigation for the murder of her husband, which is just the most audacious lie imaginable. This is a level of depravity and desperation on the left, and CD6 voters rejected it. Southlake, Texas elections go full conservative, reject critical race theory by seventy thirty proportions. Austin, Texas, even Austin. Voters say no to public homeless encampments overruling city council. These are heartening results. America is waking up. And finally, in Senator Tim Scott and truth about race. Senator Scott's rebuttal a Biden's speech was uplifting, unifying, patriotic, and spoken by a black man who has experienced the ugliness of ignorance and actual racism, but understands the bigger picture. Hear me clearly, America is not a racist country. Post-speech vilification of Scott by the leftist Twitter mobs trending with Uncle Tim is wildly over the top and out of touch with the American people of every skin color, gender, ethnicity, etc. Americans are beginning to understand the left's agenda to destroy America as founded. Is the sleeping giant awakened? And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk? Where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time.
1: America, can we talk truth about America?